There's a conductor of the Boston Philharmonic named Benjamin Zander. He's originally a British musician and uh, he lives in America. And he gave a TED talk and he spoke about music and he spoke about its uh, power to influence people. But in this TED talk, he, he relates a story that he had heard personally from a woman, a Holocaust survivor, a survivor of, of, of Auschwitz, who was on the cattle car with her brother. They were both uh, children. She was the older sister. And she looked down and she saw that her little brother was missing his shoes. He was standing there barefoot. And like many older sisters would react, she, uh, she says to him, Oh, you're so stupid. Can't you keep track of your belongings? You look, you went and you lost your shoes. And, uh, I mean, obviously these were, to us, extraordinary circumstances, but human nature is human nature, and an older sister speaks the way an older sister is wont to sometimes speak. At any rate, they were separated um, less than a moment later, and he did not survive, and they did not see each other again. And those ended up being the last words that she ever said to her brother. So when she got out, when she survived, she said, I, I, I walked out of Auschwitz and into life, and I made a commitment at that moment that from now on, whatever words I ever speak to anybody in any situation will be words that are worthy of being the last words that I speak to that person. So this week, our Torah portion, we have a reunion. The family of, uh, of Yosef, of, of, of Joseph, who is serving as second in command as viceroy of Egypt, they are, they are reunited. They all come down to Egypt and they are re reunited. Jacob, uh, the father, the patriarch, Yankov Avinu, uh, is, is reunited with all of his sons. And... Um, 22 years, 22 years they did not speak, 22 years they did not know of each other's whereabouts, and um, as far as Yankov Avino knows, as far as Jacob, our patriarch, knows, the last words he ever spoke to his beloved son, to Yosef, to Joseph, um, were a secret between him, between the two of them. And that's what I want to talk about, those last words, which ended up not being the very last words they spoke to each other, but for 22 years when they were separated, those were the last words until that point. Um, so, Parshas Vayigash, um, I'm looking in uh, chapter 45, verse 27. And at this point, the brothers already know 
Joseph is alive, he has revealed himself to them. They go back to the land of Israel, at that time still referred to as the land of Canaan, and they tell their father, guess what? We found our brother, Joseph is still alive. They said to him, the brothers said to their father, to Yankif, to Jacob, it's called Divrei Yosef, Asher Dibra Lehim, all of the things that Yosef, that Joseph had told them. Vayar Goles, and he saw the wagons, Jacob saw the wagons, Asher Sholach Yosef, that Joseph sent to, to carry him, and the spirit of their father Jacob was revived. And Yisrael, Yisrael is the other name of, of Jacob when, when Yankiv wrestled the angel and he became Yisrael. So Yisrael says at this point, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I'm going to go. Verano beterem almost and see him before I die. So the famous question which our sages ask, it says the brothers told their father, guess what, we found Yosef. But it's not until he sees the wagons that he responds with saying, my son Joseph is still alive. What's the deal with the wagons? Why, why wasn't the report enough? Why, why were the wagons sort of the, the uh, evidence that sealed the deal? So the Medrash tells us, both of the Medrash Rabbah and the Medrash Tanchuma uh, tell us similar stories based on this verse. Interestingly enough that uh, Yosef was speaking in code. Or he wasn't speaking, he was... Um, he was uh, pantomiming, or it's not even pantomiming, he was uh, using props that are hints. What were the props? The props of the wagons. So why were the wagons... Uh, the, the wagons were also practically the wagons that were sent to um, be an entourage to bring uh, Yankov to, to Mitzrayim, to Egypt. But they, were, they served a, dub a double purpose as well. They were, they were props which were a coded message, um, a pun of sorts. You see, the last time that Yankiv Avinu saw Yosef, 22 years earlier, Yankiv told Yosef, go check on your brothers. They're in a place called Dyson. Go check on them. Um, where were Yankov and Yosef at that time? They were in Hevron. Hevron. Um, before they parted ways, they were learning Torah together, as they often did, apparently. Uh, one of the things we're told about uh, why the Torah refers to Yosef as the Ben Zakunim, uh, which literally means um, the son of wisdom and or of old age, um, th th that also means that 
Yankov taught his wisdom, his Torah wisdom, to Yosef. You remember Yankov, you know, when he left home before he went to Choron, where he met um, his his cousin uh, cousins Rachel and Leah and built a family. Um, he stopped in the yeshivas of Shem and Aver, and he was studying Torah. So the Torah that he was studying, and you're going to say, what Torah were they studying? We're talking about um, how many generations before the giving of the Torah? Five generations before, because Abraham was seven generations before Moses. Moses is the generation of the giving of the Torah, so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So you're talking about uh, seven minus two. So you're talking about five generations before the giving of the Torah. The Torah was um, at least... In a, in a conceptual format known to our patriarchs, maybe not um, the stories that we know, because the stories were actually about them, but the ideas, the, the ideas of the Torah were known to them, and certainly the mystical ideas, um, the, the, the Kabbalistic concepts that are represented by the mitzvahs, as well as mitzvahs as well, but not necessarily in the form how we observe them after the revelation at Sinai. At any rate, the point is that they had plenty of Torah to study, even if it wasn't identically in the same manner as the body of knowledge that we today, or for, for the past 3,300 some odd years, refer to uh, as Torah. So, Yosef was the Ben Zekunim. He was the uh, protege of his father. And his father taught him his his Torah. So, not unlike many experiences they had where they would uh, study together, on that last occasion, for 22 years before they were reunited, uh, they were studying Torah. And what Torah were they studying? Uh, they were studying the law of the Egla Rufa. Egla Rufa is an interesting section. It's in uh, the book of Devarim in Deuteronomy, and it speaks about a uh, dead body is located in the field uh, outside of the city proper. And uh, it's probably that this person was a murder victim. And there's a whole ceremony that has to take place to uh, absolve the city, the nearest city, of any fault. So what happens is the elders of the city have to come out to the place where, the, where, the, where they found the body. And um, they, the ceremony, it's called Egla Rufa. Egla Rufa literally means, Egla is a calf. Rufa means with, uh, with the broken neck. So they break the neck of a calf, um, not in the form of ritual slaughter, which is normally how... Um, how animals are, 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 are killed in, in Torah law, but this is, a, this is a, an axe at the back of the neck. And it's a whole elaborate ceremony, and the <clears throat> elders of the city have to proclaim that we did not allow this person, this murder victim, to leave our city without food and water and escort. We accompanied him, um, and we... Uh, gave him provisions so that he would be safe on his travel. So it's not our fault. Um, that was the, and it's a mitzvah, it's one of the 613 commandments. That was the subject in the Torah that Yankiv was studying with Yosef the last time they saw each other. So, 
Yosef wants to hint to Yankov Avinu, I'm going to reveal to you something that only I could know. In case you're doubting if it's really me, maybe it's a terrible case of mistaken identity. Maybe somebody is claiming to be your son. Maybe, who knows? I want you to know this is really me. Uh, so Yosef sent the Agoles. Agoles is wagons, which is the same letters in Hebrew, not the same vowels, but the same consonants as the word Egla, which means calf. So the Agola, the Egla, Agola, wagon, Egla, calf, was a pun in code that Yankiv would see and say, ah, this is him. And that's why, the Yares HaGolis, he saw the wagons, Asheshaluch Yosef, let's say, that Yosef sent to him, Vatchiruach Yankiv Avihem, the spirit of their father, Yankiv, was revived. He said, it really is him. And then the next verse, Vayemir Yisrael, Rav, Oid Yosef, B'nichai, it's enough for me, my, my son Yosef is still alive. Okay, so that's one explanation. It was a message in code. It's really me. It was an identifying message. But there's a deeper explanation. The deeper explanation is when Yankif says, Oid Yosef Bini Choy, my son Joseph is still alive. He doesn't only mean in the literal sense of physical life. He also means in the spiritual sense that he's still alive, that he's still true to the lessons that I taught him. Remember, it's 22 years. They haven't seen each other. Yosef was how old when they parted? 17. So most of his life at this point is spent away from his father. And where has he spent those 22 years? He has been tested with um, being a slave, being a prisoner. Um, then he had the test of having the entire world open to him. He became the viceroy of the most powerful country in the world. So he had both types of tests of uh, poverty and of, of wealth. So Yosef sends to Yankov a hint, I haven't forgotten the lessons you taught me. Not just that it's a, it's a hint, because he could have told him, I remember what you had for breakfast the last time I saw you, right? He's telling him, I remember the last Torah lesson you taught me, because that makes it clear that, that Yosef has preserved the teachings He's clung to those teachings, and therefore he's communicating to his father, don't worry, I'm still your ben zakunim, I'm your protege, I'm your, your child who sat at your feet and drank your words, and I, and I still retained your lessons, and I'm still living according to your lessons. So it's not just Yankiv knew that Yosef is physically alive. It had another meaning, another layer of meaning, it's to convey that he's still spiritually alive. Okay, but it goes deeper, <laughs> but it goes deeper than that. This is all true, it's not to contradict what we've said until now, but there's another layer, there's another layer. And, um, 
That layer addresses the question of why were they speaking about this subject at that particular time? Were they just randomly discussing different Torah topics? Stream of consciousness? Or was there a particular reason why that would be the discussion under those circumstances? So, the Toysfis read Reb Yeshio, or Isaiah, we say in English, Ditrani. Ditrani means from the town of Trani, which is a, a town in Italy, in southern Italy. It's uh, on the coast, on the back of the boot. Uh, you know how Italy is shaped like a boot. So it's on the east coast of the south of Italy. And Rabbi uh, Shio di Trani, or the Toysvis Rid, he lived about a thousand years ago. He explained the circumstances of this last meeting in very vivid detail. He said, Yankov tells Yosef, I want you to go check in your brothers. They were at that time, like we said, in, in Hebron. The, I'm saying Yaakov and Yosef were in Hebron, and the brothers were in Doisan. So they were in a settled area. They were in a, a town. Hebron is an ancient city. I mean, in the time of Abraham already, it was, it was, a, it was a city. It was a Hittite city. So they're leaving the town, and Yosef is headed to Doisan, where his brothers are. And as they're leaving the town, Yankiv says to Yosef, we're, we're leaving the town now, we're going out into the uninhabited area, and I'm going to continue to walk with you for a while. And Yosef says, it's okay, Father, you don't have to walk with, with me anymore. And Yankiv says, no, I do. I do have to walk with you. It's a mitzvah, or it will be a mitzvah. There's something called Eglera Rufa, and he proceeds to explain the, the, the Eglera Rufa ceremony. He says, there's a responsibility of the elders of the city that when somebody travels and they leave the city, they, 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 must, they must have an escort, and you have to provide them with, with provisions, and that's why I'm doing this. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with you a while, and uh, I'm going to give you uh, food and drink, and then, then I'll let you continue on your way. So the reason they were having that discussion was not random. It was actually relevant to the exact situation that they were in. Now, there is symbolism to this entire ceremony. And it's not just the literal idea of finding a dead body in an uninhabited region and, and, and having to absolve the elders of the nearest city of, of any wrongdoing. 
the symbolism is spiritually there's something called a settled area and there's something called a field an inhabited area spiritually means a place that's conducive to a spiritual life an uninhabited area or in the case the way that it's described in these verses a sada or a field is is a place of um, chaos and disorder it's interesting Yankov's brother Esav who was a chaotic person he's known as an ish sada a man of the field so the field means a place that is not structured and not reined in with, with spiritual order. And a person goes out into that place. And it is possible that if he's not properly prepared, he will spiritually succumb and he'll become spiritually dead. Even if physically he's not murdered but he can spiritually be murdered in other words you have a, a an innocent farm boy 17 year old kid who his whole life where did he grow up he was a shepherd with his father that's what they did and they chose that life they chose the life of shepherding specifically because it, it, it allowed them opportunities for meditation and contemplation. So you have this, this sweet 17-year-old kid who grew, who grew up uh, on, on the farm, and now he's leaving that safety, and he's about to head into the big, scary world. He's about to, uh, he doesn't know it at the time, but he's about to go to what's called Ervas Ha'aretz. Our sages use that term Ervas Ha'aretz to describe, to describe Egypt. Um, it's, it's actually it's a term that, that Yosef himself uses uh, when he's speaking to his brothers, but the deeper meaning is uh, Erva means nudity or lewdness. Mitzrayim was not a nice place. Mitzrayim was not a refined place. It was a... It was a a place devoid of proper morality and spiritual limits. So you have this innocent 17-year-old kid who happens to be stunningly gorgeous, may I add, um, that we know about Yosef, and he's about to find himself in a very lewd and promiscuous place. Um, and to top it all off, he's only there under circumstances that are trauma traumatizing. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's betrayed by his brothers. They, they almost kill him. Instead, they throw him in a pit and then sell him as a slave. And then when he's a slave, he ends up being accused on false charges and becomes a prisoner. So really, we're talking about somebody who has... A very hard time of it. Um, he's ripped out of everything he knows suddenly and under very um, tumultuous circumstances. He's, uh, he's betrayed by those who are closest to him. Um, 
he's vilified. He is treated like a uh, like like not like not like a I'm not uh, he wasn't treated like a criminal. He was actually um, branded a criminal. And you could well imagine that under such circumstances, he would say, what do you want from me? I don't have my family. I don't have any sense of security. I was betrayed. I'm a slave. So I, I, I'm not even considered a normal person. And now on top of that, I'm a prisoner and a slave. Everything that I knew, everything that was meaningful to me was, was torn away from me. So what do you care if I just try to per pursue a life of base pleasure? Everything that was meaningful was taken away from me under extremely traumatizing circumstances. So if I just want to numb myself, if I just want to check out and do what feels good and distract myself minute by minute. What do you want from me? What else, what else, what else do you want from me? And uh, when Yankov heard that Yeshev was still alive 22 years later, it was certainly a possibility that that was his situation. Okay, when he was first told that, that Yeshev is still alive, you know, it's like a POW spending years in a POW camp. You know the person who went off to war. Do you know the person who's coming home? So it was a distinct possibility that the Yosef who left home at 17 was not the same person 22 years later, that he would have been unrecognizable, that you would be talking about somebody who was a shell of his former self and had just completely succumbed, and who could blame him if that were the case, someone who had completely succumbed to all of the base pleasures that were so abundantly available in, in Egypt at that time. So Yosef knows, Yosef's smart, he knows that Yankov's going to worry about this. Not only worry about it, he's going to harbor the idea as a distinct possibility or a likelihood. So what does Yosef do? He sends a code. The code is on multiple levels. First of all, like we said, the most basic meaning of the code is it's not a joke, it's really me, because only you and I know this conversation was the last conversation that we had. So the agoles, the wagons, is the agla, the agla arufa, the law of the, the calf. That's one level. But there's a deeper level, which is, I still remember the last Torah class that you taught me 22 years later. I still retained your teachings. That's a deeper level. But there's an even deeper level, which is specifically this lesson. This lesson. The lesson that when the elders escort the person from the town, they give him provisions and they make sure he has what he needs to survive. Yosef was telling his father, 
I want you to know that you escorted me. Not just literally you walked with me those steps out of Hebron, but my whole life was you preparing me. And neither of us knew at that moment that for 22 years I would have this roller coaster of a life. Neither of us knew that. But my entire life up until that moment had prepared me for what was to come. So you didn't send me into the field without any preparation, without any defense, without any tools for living. The message of the, the, the agolis, the egla, the pun of the encoded message was, I'm alive because you took care to give me what I would need in order to stay true to the principles that you taught me. So then Yankiv understood, ah, not only is he physically alive, it's really my son, but he's alive. He's spiritually alive. He didn't make an excuse. And who could fault him if he would have? But he didn't make an excuse and say, what was me after everything that's happened to me? What can I do? How moral do you want me to be? He didn't make that excuse. Instead, he sends his father the message, you escorted me, you gave me provisions, you prepared me, you sent me into the world with what I needed. Now, was that consciously what Yankiv was telling Yosef when he brought up the, the story of, uh, or the, the mitzvah of the Egla Arufa, the slaughtered calf? No, no, because they, they didn't know that was going to be their last meeting for 22 years. But I'll, I'll tell you, the Lubavitcher Rebbe actually said this, what I'm telling you right now, on a very famous date, on Hey Tavis, the fifth day of the month of Tavis, Tavshimem Zion. That was actually the date of the famous verdict of the court case regarding the ownership of the library yeah. of Lubavitch. Yeah, Dinan Notzach, yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that Rebbe said a sicha, that Rebbe gave a public address on that day. And what was the subject of that address is, is this explanation that I'm telling you now. And the Rebbe said that although Yankiv didn't know these were going to be the last words he would say to his son for 22 years, certainly on some level, on a subconscious level, or call it a supraconscious level, uh, in, in, in the depth of his soul, he was aligned with, with the truth that this message needed to be conveyed and that this was the appropriate message. And, and the message was that no matter what you go through, my son, I want you to know that you were given the tools. You were given the tools to survive and, and, and even to thrive. And... Um, I don't know how much we can read into this, and I don't purport to be capable of interpreting such things, but I can just tell you thoughts that I have. With no, I'm not taking any responsibility here. Uh, this is not an interpretation, it's more just a reaction. 
Um, not long after the, the victory of the court case, indeed the following year, uh, was the passing of the Rebbe Tzinchai Mushka, the Rebbe's wife, who was instrumental in the favorable outcome, the favorable verdict of the trial. Uh, she actually gave a, uh, a deposition, which was considered to be key evidence for the judge ruling as he did. And um, not long after that, a matter of f- four years after the Rebetzin, pa- uh, the Re- the Rebetzin passed away, uh, the Rebbe suffered a, a stroke and did not speak publicly again. Uh, until his passing two years after that. So, in retrospect, in retrospect, in many ways, um, these talks from that period were, I feel confident to say that one could categorize them in some way as a, as a last will and testament, as an ethical will. Marching orders um, as, a, as, a, as a plan for moving forward. And again, I said, this is not my interpretation, it's my personal reaction. I can't help to think that the Rebbe was also conveying in some way that if for any reason we would be separated and we would not be able to hear new Torah teachings, that we should know that we were armed already with what we need in order to survive out there in the field, meaning to get through this last stretch of of exile and to make it back, to be re- reunited with the Rebbe and with all of those who will be resurrected when Mashiach comes with Tchias HaMesim, and that we have what it takes. The Rebbe as a leader and as a father, as a father, gave his children the direction that they would need. And although, you know, you think about everything that's changed since 1994, when the Rebbe passed away, and today, how different the world is. I mean, I remember in 1994, I didn't even own a cell phone. Not I'm talking about a flip phone. I didn't own a cell phone. Um, not even the most primitive kind of cell phone. And very few people I knew did. Um, I don't think I had I even been on a dial-up modem internet with an AOL uh, in 1994. I think I, I didn't have it. I, didn't, I, I certainly didn't have it. I think I'd been on a friend's thing with AOL and uh, you've got mail or that kind of thing. Um, but certainly there was no 24-hour news cycle. There was no social media. Uh, there were no smartphones. There was no YouTube. It was a different world. It was a different world. And I'm not even remembering my childhood. I'm remembering <laughs> when I was uh, 20 years old. Okay? So 
It's not that long ago, and the world has changed so much. But I think it's very important for us to think about the fact that the Rebbe, as, as a leader, and again, as a father, took care and, and used foresight to provide us with whatever it is that we would require. And uh, I don't think we have an excuse. I understand it. I can't fault anyone if they invoke that excuse. But that's my attitude toward others. Toward others, I have to be compassionate. Toward myself, no, I don't think I have an excuse to say, well, what do you want from us? We've never been in this type of exile before. The tests that we're going through today are unlike tests that we've been through before. Yosef could have said the same thing. He could have said, I'm just an innocent little farm boy. I don't know how to deal with this craziness, with, with slavery and imprisonment, and then being elevated to being the second most powerful person in this terribly promiscuous and lewd place. He could have easily said, I don't know how to handle it. I'm not equipped. I'm not equipped for dealing with this kind of life. What do you want from me? And yet he didn't say that. He told his father I've been unpacking the Torah lessons you taught me. I've been un unpacking them all these years. And I've been finding more and more depth and more and more relevancy in them. And they've been my guiding light. And they've been steering me. And I'm still with you. And I'm still devoted. I'm still your son. I'm still alive in the, in the way that you saw me last. And I think it, it behooves us all to think about ourselves, both as the children in this story, as well as the parents. How are we the children? So personally, the way I feel about it is that people ask me, when are the Lubavitchers going to get a new rabbit? As far as I'm concerned, the Rebbe gave us direction that we can follow until Mashiach comes. Yosef didn't get a new father when he was in Mitzrayim. That's how I internalize it as a child. And as a, as a parent, as a parent... It's scary to think this, but I think we can handle it. Imagine that the next interaction that you have with your child may be the last thing you get to tell them. And I don't mean that in a morbid way, and I'm not trying to, not trying to scare people. But what I'm saying is, at least whatever the next words we say to our children are, those should be worthy. Those words should be worthy of being last words. They should be worthy of being words that a child could cling to through whatever life brings. And... 
the main thing is that just like when the time came for Yosef to be reunited with Yankiv, once the time came, I mean, there was a timetable being kept in heaven. On earth, they didn't know it. But it was the exact same, I mean, everything's so clear in, in retrospect. The time that they were separated, the 22 years, was exactly the time that Yankiv was separated from his father. The whole thing was a, it was a pattern being repeated. And, and the moment that that time was fulfilled, Hashem did not delay. The, the reunion happened immediately. So we don't know whatever timetable they're keeping in heaven that's delaying Mashiach. Our sages told us already centuries ago that we're over time. But uh, God willing, immediately already, we should uh, be reunited with all of those who, who gave us direction over the, over the millennia, the centuries, and in our lifetimes.